Hey, it's Ryan, and you're listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's final sermon out of Romans. It's called The Autobiography of God. It's out of Romans chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. If you have a Bible this morning, take that Bible. Open up to Romans chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, the Scripture will be on the screens. If you don't own a Bible... Stop by the Welcome Center before you leave today. We would love to put one in your hand. That will be yours. But today we come to the end of our study of the book of Romans. Two years, almost, that we've been in the book of Romans. And uh, and I, I started feeling sorry for you, but then I heard about Donald Gray Barnhouse pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia many, many years ago. He too preached through the book of Romans. Took him 13 years. 500 sermons. So when I heard about that, I thought, you know what, you guys are getting off easy. But uh, the book of Romans I found to be a rich, rich book. And uh, as he comes to the end of this, The way the letter is written is the first 15 chapters, you know, that is the body of the letter. And then we get to chapter 16, and it serves more uh, as a postscript or a PS. Last week we talked about, I don't know, about 27 of his friends that he's just saying, hey, make sure you say this to this one and this to this one. And just talking about those that God had blessed in his own ministry, in his own life, and just saying hello and how appreciated they are. Well, today we're going to meet eight more of his friends, and then we're going to finish out this letter with the most important thing, and it's what he used when he began this letter. So look there with me. We're just kind of work our way through it. Romans 16, look at verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. Now, most of you, if you've studied the Bible, you know who Timothy was. Timothy was Paul's spiritual protege. Timothy would end up being the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul writes two letters to Timothy. They are the pastoral epistles. And he's just basically saying, hey, Timothy, here is the calling on your life. Here's what it means to be a pastor. Now, we don't really know much about the other three that are mentioned there, but they're relatives of of Timothy, and, you know, they're with him, and so we can just assume because Paul mentions them, they uh, they were profitable to him. Look in verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Now, some of you are saying, hang on just a second. For two years, you've been telling me Paul wrote it. Who's this guy, Tertius? Uh, He would have been the scribe. He's the one that Paul would be dictating, and he would have been the one writing it down. So uh, he's sitting there, and at the end he's saying, hey, by the way, I'm in the room too. I'm the one who wrote down all the crazy stuff that the Holy Spirit gave this guy to say. He didn't take the pen, Paul, in his hand and write it himself. Look in verse 23. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, no doubt, the Apostle Paul had stayed in the home of the household of Gaius, eating his meals there, and he's thanking God for him and the other people through the years who had shown great hospitality to Paul and to God's servants. He talks about Erastus there. Erastus would have been the director of the city's public works. We thank God today for men and women who love Jesus, that service in a local, public, prominent place of capacity. We're thankful for that. And even though Tertius is the one who wrote what Paul dictated to him, I want us, and this is, I believe, why he ends the way he does, I want us to understand that God is the one who wrote the book of Romans. 
that when the Bible speaks, God is the one who speaks. That the Bible is different than any other book you may have, whether it be on your bookcase, whether it be on your, uh, your coffee table, whether it be under the bed, I don't know what it is, wherever you read and you hold those books, this is different because this is the only manuscript, the only book that is alive. Because it's God-breathed. The very words of God, and even though there's one guy who wrote it down and another guy who dictated it, it's the very Holy Spirit of God who spoke it out. And that's the reason why, here's what I've titled this final sermon, The Autobiography of God. The Autobiography of God. Because I want us this morning to see what God reveals about himself, and he does it there in the last three verses. Look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever, amen. Now guys, arguably Paul's deepest letter that was ever penned. And notice here, he reserves these finally important words to brag on God. The last words he's saying, here's the God that we serve. It's often said that the final words that someone speaks about you are often what they've remembered about you. We know that's true when it comes to tombstones, what's written on tombstones. I want you to stop this morning, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that today somebody's gonna pick out what's gonna be on your tombstone, but I want you to stop and I want you to think, if someone were to write the epitaph for my tombstone, what would it say? What would it say? Again, people say what they remember the most about you is usually what they say at the end. Now, there's a lady I heard about that was buried in England. Her name was Anna Wallace. This is what they wrote on her tombstone about her. The children of Israel wanted bread and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna <laughs> on her tombstone. That's what it says on her tombstone. In New Mexico, there's a tombstone that literally says this. Here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. Another one, undoubtedly this guy died in an automobile accident, I don't know, but here's what it says. Here lies the body of Johnny Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. Mm. It's a tough way to go. And then there's a tombstone outside of London, England, and here's what it says. It says, remember, young man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare, young man, to follow me. And then somebody came along after that and they scribbled and scratched this on the tombstone at the very bottom and here's what they wrote. To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. <laughs> Friends, hear me. God will never have a tombstone because God will never die. And so it's not us sitting there saying, oh my goodness, I mean, what do we need to know about God? We, we, we need to know the important things about God. Hear me, all throughout the Bible, God reveals himself to us. And that's what happens here in these last few verses in the book of Romans. God is revealing himself to us, and as we've already mentioned in our singing, in our worship, in our welcome time, the very nature and the characteristics of God are not based or built around you and I, they are entirely on him. 
And the reason why that's so important is you don't have to wake up in the morning wondering, I wonder what kind of God I'm going to serve today. I wonder what the God of heaven is going to be like today. Well, he'll be, he'll be like what he was yesterday. And he was the day before that, and he was years before that, and he was thousands of years before that, and as he has been throughout all eternity, eternity past, eternity present, and eternity in the future, he is God. And so right here in Paul's final words to the church at Rome, as the Spirit of God is speaking through him, as the scribe is writing it down, Paul's like, what's the most important thing to leave them with? What's the most important thing after two years at Highland Park that we hold to? And he says, you know what? How about we remind them of the God that they serve? And so with that being said, this morning there are three characteristics of this eternal God that we serve the most important things that we learn about him. First of all, he's a God of power who gives strength and stability. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says in 25, now to him who is able. Now, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek and the word that we have for able there is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis means strong. It's where we get our word dynamite from. So here's what has just been declared. We serve a strong God. I said we serve a strong God. Thank you. I just want to make sure the 9 o'clock service was on it this morning. We serve a dynamite God, we, we, we serve this God that is not limited at all. That's hard for you and I to understand because we're limited all the time. You don't believe you're limited? All right, get in your car and head home today. And let's just say that you get on 231 and you're like, you know what, I've got no limits. I'm driving 100 miles an hour. Well, that'll be fine until somebody pulls you over and says, oh, by the way, you got some limits. No, but God has no limits at all. Keep reading there. Verse 25, he is able to do what? To establish you. The word establish in Greek is the word sterics. Our English word steroid comes from that. Sterics. It means to give you the maximum of amount of strength available. So notice what he has just said. He has just said this, that I am the source, right? I am the source of emotional and spiritual steroids. And by the way, there are no side effects and it's not illegal. But I am the God and the source of emotional and spiritual steroids and I wanna give you strength and I wanna give you stability. Now, that's important to me. Do you know why that's important to me? Because I live in an unstable world. You do as well. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world, I mean, my goodness, have you ever been listening to the news, something tragic has happened, and you're like, my goodness, this is just horrible. The world seems as though it's getting more and more messed up. And you're like, you know what, I'll just go to bed, though, because when I wake up in the morning, everything will be a lot better. And you wake up in the morning, you turn on the news, you know you shouldn't, but it's like an opioid to you. You're addicted to it. And you turn it on, and you're like, it's worse now than it was before. That's the world. So here you and I are living in a world that is so messed up. And by the way, can I just say, you know why the world's messed up? Because I'm messed up. Hello, so are you. We're messed up. And that's why the world, it's amazing how we want to point the finger and talk about how messed up everybody else is. Instead, pull out the mirror. It starts right here. And so here I am, and I don't have stability in the world. I don't have stability even in my own self. I don't have stability in anything. And yet God comes along and God says, guess what? I am so powerful. I'm like dynamite. I have the ability to give unto you strength and stability in an unstable world. 
Mm. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Maybe this will excite you. I don't know. Listen to what he says about this stability here. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Hello. You're like, that sounds important. Yeah. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Now, notice this. Notice what it says. Rooted. Rooted means this. It means you go down deep. Built up. Built up means this, that you go up high and strengthened. It means you stand firm in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That's the stability that comes from being in Jesus Christ. Have you guys ever seen pictures of the lone pine tree? It's like up at a real high elevation in the Rocky Mountains. I think we even have a picture of it today on the screen. Look at that. So it's there, and it's right on the side of this mountain. And there's no other vegetation around it. There's not even any soil around it. Most of the time, it's freezing weather where it is. Wind just beats and pounds on it and snow, and yet... It's been growing for uh, over a hundred years. Its roots go down hundreds of feet through the rocks and the cracks and the crevices until it finds rich soil. It's never broken. Even though it is in a very unstable environment, even though everything in its world is trying to bring about destruction and death and brokenness, it is yet to be broken. And the reason why I share this picture with you and this story with you this morning is, to me, that is a symbol of the very strength and the very stability that God wants to give each of us. Hear me, when the howling winds of despair come along, and they'll come along, friend, when the howling winds of doubt come, when the howling winds of affliction come your way, God says this, God says that I want you to be so deeply rooted in my word, and I want you to be so built up in my strength that nothing can cause you to lose your stability. And that's what he offers. And as I'm looking around this crowd today, hear me. I'm aware that there are a lot of problems in this room that I'm not even aware of. I don't know anything about. I know this, in every seat, in every church, on every Sunday, there is at least one person, and I would submit there are probably even more here today that are facing at that moment a major crisis. And it might be a marriage problem, or it might be a relational problem, or it might be a financial problem. It might be a health problem, either your health or the health of someone that you love. It might be a family problem, but there's some crisis that you find yourself going through, and God is saying, I'm powerful enough, I'm strong enough, dunamis, I'll give you the strength, I'll give you the stability to endure this problem. Put your faith and trust in him. He'll never let you down. Notice what it says here, guys. To him who is able. I know this, there are a lot of other people and a lot of other things, a lot of other forces that say they're able, but they're not able. He alone is able. To him who is able. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three Jewish boys, and they're there, and King Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build this big false idol, this big golden idol, and the, 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 the royal band's going to play. And when they play, everybody's going to bow down, and they're going to they're worship. And so they started the music. Everybody bowed down except these three boys. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, whoa, hang on. He goes to him, and he says, hey, guys, listen, I don't think you understood. Maybe you didn't get the memo or something, but everybody's supposed to bow down. We're going to go ahead. We're going to give you another opportunity, assuming that you did not know what was supposed to happen. And I love the response of these three Hebrew boys. They said, you know what? We're not careful to answer you in this matter. 
Can I put that in panhandle vernacular? We're not going to tell you just a bunch of junk. Here, here's what we're going to say. We're going to tell you the truth. We're, we're, not, we're not weighing our words here. We're, we're, we're not parsing them out to, to kind of make it sound like you want it to sound like. No, no, we're not, we're not careful here to answer you in this matter. But listen to what they said. Our God is able. Hang on to that phrase. Our God is able. And they said, our God, because he said, hey, if you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And so they said, our God is able to deliver us from the fire. We know without question, without doubt, our God is dynamis, right? Our God is strong enough. Our God is powerful enough. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can deliver us from the fire. But that's not all they said. Our God is able to deliver us from the fire. Here it is. But even if he doesn't. Mm. Somebody needs to hear this. Our God's got the strength to deliver us from the fire. We, we, there's no question. We're not having a business meeting later on to, to, to get the majority rule on whether God can do it or not. But even if he doesn't, no, 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 we're not calling into question ability. Well, he can do it. But even if he doesn't, listen to what they say. We're still going to trust him and praise him. We're not going to deny him. We're, 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 we're not going to leave him. See, folks, we're talking about real faith. Real faith. Here's how it plays out with you and I. We find ourselves in a situation. We find ourselves facing some kind of affliction. We find ourselves dealing with something that is not according to our 10-year plan. And we say, well, now, God, where are you? I've been praying about this for a week. Or God, God, are you listening? God, where have you gone? I've been praying about this for a year. I've been praying about this for years. Where are you, God? Hear me, guys. That's not real faith. Real faith says exactly what they said. I know, God, that you are able to deliver me. I know, God, that you're able to provide. But even if he doesn't, I'll still love him. And I'll still trust him because he's the only thing I got. And so the message that God is saying to you this morning is this. I am able. I am able to give you strength. I am able to give you stability to endure whatever it is that you're facing right now. That when we walk out of here today, you ought to be saying, my God is able. My God is able. Matter of fact, just to go ahead and rehearse it, how about we say it right now? Can you do it? The 9 o'clock service did a great job. Matter of fact, when I said the 10.30 would do it better, most of them said, mmm, I doubt it. You're going to say it with me. You're going to say it with me. My God is able, okay? All right, out loud together. Here we go. My God is able. Say it with me again. My God is able. One more time. My God is able. Now, do you believe it? He is. Paul's like, hey, hey, before we close this thing out, let's talk about the all-powerful God. He gives strength. He gives stability. But then secondly, he's the God of eternity. And he reveals, we're going to see where he talks about a mystery, but it's talking about salvation. He's the God of eternity that reveals salvation. Now, you and I, it's hard for us to understand eternity because we're bound by time. Unless there's one of you that I'm not aware of, that you've come up with some kind of, you know, time continuum or, you know, you, you've got a DeLorean somewhere or something like that and you're able to go back in time, ahead in time. Or, we are all bound by time. That means there are limitations that you and I have. We've already talked about that, that you and I can't step into next week. You and I cannot go back into last year. Be careful what you wish for. There are a lot of folks that say this. Oh, if I could only go back and do it over again knowing what I know now. Can I say this in Christian love? You'd still mess it up. So would I. But God's not bound by any of that. God is a God of eternity. And what happens is when you become a Christian, when you have Christ now living inside of you, God takes you from time and he places you in eternity. Look, look at verse 26. 
26 says, the eternal God is the one who revealed the mystery. Now, mystery, what in the world are we talking about here? When you hear me say the word mystery, do you think about Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie or, you know, one of those other writers? Do you think of Alfred Hitchcock movie and there's some kind of twisted plot there and, you know, the goal is to try to figure out the mystery and only the the smartest and the brightest folks can figure out the mystery. That's not how the word mystery in the Bible, that's not what it means. It's not, that's not the picture here. We're not talking about a, a plot that is so twisted and so convoluted that only those that are geniuses can figure it out. In the Bible, the word mystery means this. Something that was previously hidden and it's now been revealed. And he's talking about the mystery of salvation. And it's no longer a mystery. Uh, God says, I'll make it so plain, it'll be as clear as the nose on your face. Colossians 1, 26 and 27 talks about the mystery. Look at what it says. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now, that excites me when I read that. Why? Because I'm a Gentile. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, can it be any simpler than that? Not at all. Well, what is the mystery that he's talking about? Christ in you. The mystery is Christ in you. That if Christ is in you, therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple, Christ in you. So when it comes to this mystery, I think there are a couple of things that you and I need to talk about to make sure that we're understanding just what this mystery is saying. First of all, this mystery is available to both Jews and Gentiles. Do we have any Gentiles in the room? Can I get a witness this morning? All right, this mystery, Christ in you, is available to you. Here's what that means. Salvation is available to you as a Gentile. I just assumed you'd be more excited about that. Salvation is available to you as a Gentile. It means that, yeah, give him praise and glory for that, guys. Some of you are like, I thought it said Baptist on the sign. We're not supposed to clap and say stuff out loud. Well, well, don't let the word Baptist fool you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Do we have any Jews in the room? Do we have any Jews? All right. Let me hear you, Jews. Don't be ashamed. Do we have any Jews? A couple of couple of folks. Give me a hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. I think we've got one Jew. We used to have a few more. Hey, the mystery has been revealed to the Jews. <laughs> now stop and think, stop and think. He's thought, what's the mystery? Christ in you. What does Christ in you bring? Sharing in the glorious riches of God. Who's it available to? Gentiles and Jews. Do you know who that is? Yes, you got it. It's everybody. It's the whole world. That this mystery is available to the entire world. It is Christ in you. Now stop and think about this. This was a, it was a mystery because for about 1,400 years it was hidden from the Jewish people. And then all of a sudden God came to Abraham and God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to be your God. And not only am I going to be your God, Abraham, I'm going to be the God of your children. And there is going to be a great nation that is going to come from you, and I'm going to be the God of that nation, and the nation would be Israel. And Abraham, he didn't get it. He really didn't understand it, but he's like, that's great. That sounds awesome. And God did more than even Abraham had the capacity to understand. But then God said this. He said, Abraham, 
Not only are your children and your descendants going to be blessed, and a great nation will be blessed, but through you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And somehow, over 1,400 years, the Jews forgot about the second part of the covenant. The whole thing about all the nations are going to be blessed. And what happened is, the Jews, like like we all are, tend to be more inwardly focused, right? We're we're, we're always about, how is this going to be affecting me? What does this have to say to me? And they were so selfish with their God, Jehovah, they thought that he, he, he was only the God of the Jews. And they're like, well, if you're not a Jew, then you can't relate to this God. And then Jesus comes along, and then later the apostle Paul, right? And he says, no, 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 that is wrong. He's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God. God of anyone who will seek him. He's the God of anyone who will come to him in faith. He will be their God. That's the first part of the mystery. Anyone, anyone, hear me, regardless of your background, you can receive the mystery of salvation. It's not about you working hard enough so God will look down and say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how good you were. And now because you've proven yourself to be so good, yes, I will be your God. No, 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 no. Here's what he is saying. The mystery is this. It's Christ in you. It's Jesus. That's game changer. Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the trump card. Jesus has, 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 it, it has, Jesus has radically affected the world as you and I know it. What is the world? It's messed up. Why is it messed up? I'm messed up. And then the God of power says, I'll give you strength. I'll give you stability. Oh, by the way, I'm also the God of eternity, not bound by time and space. I'll reveal a mystery of you. It is salvation, and it is in Christ that is in you. It is through your, uh, the lordship of Christ in your life. And guess what? It's not just available to the Jews. It's not just available to the Gentiles. It's not just available to those who grew up in church. It's not just available today, maybe the first time you've walked into church. It's not just available to the suit and tie crowd. It's not just available to the ripped jeans and flip-flop crowd. And by the way, if you're wearing flip-flops today, good for you. (laughs) My toes get cold. I can't do that. No. It's available to all who will come. Let me tell you the second part of this mystery. It's about internal life, not external conduct. We were just talking about this. It's amazing to me how many people think that the Christian life is about being good and doing good. Yet the Bible says this. The Bible says the Christian life is not you trying to be good. The Christian life literally is Christ living inside of you. And it's literally the life of Christ being expressed through your life. That that is the mystery, right? That is the glorious secret of the Christian life. And if that's the case, then why in the world are there so many folks that are out there and they are being plugged into a Christian religion and yet they don't know anything about the internal life of God's Son, Jesus Christ? Hear me, friend. You can be in a Christian religion. You can be in a Christian church. You can be in, quote, a Christian family. But if Christ is not living inside of you, you've never been saved. That's what salvation's all about. Let me share this story with you. Dr. S.D. Gordon pastored a, a big church in Boston back in the early 20th century. And he used to tell the story of how, uh, was, I guess it was in the late 1930s, he, uh, he went to a, the World's Fair in New York City. And he said, I was kind of there, I was walking and looking around and everything. And he said, all of a sudden, across this huge platform, this huge stage, on the other side, I saw a man that was using a hand pump to pump water. Now, I know many of you have never seen a hand pump. Some of you may have grown up in homes where that's how you got your water. 
through the well and the hand pump. Basically, stop and think of this. There's a handle on it, and you go up and down, and it, it pumps that water up out of the ground or wherever the water, whether it's a reservoir, whatever it may be, you're pumping it. And Dr. Gordon said, I looked across this stage, and I see this guy there, and he's pumping water. And I watch him because I think, man, that guy is really pumping that water. He's going really fast. He'll tire out quickly. And he said, I watched, and he never quit. He never let up. He kept going. And he he said, I watched him longer, and I thought, my goodness, this is the strongest man the world's ever known. And yet, he wasn't that big of a man. I wasn't seeing any muscles or anything. Yet, I watched for a long time, and he continued to pump at the same pace. And so he said, finally, I went to investigate, and I walked all the way across this big stage at the World's Fair, and he said, I get to the other side, only to be surprised, it's not a man pumping the water. He says, it was a wooden dummy dressed up to look like a man. He said right at the hinge of his wooden elbow, you know, it was, there was a hinge there, and it was attached to this pump, and the pump was moving, and his arm was going up and down. It wasn't even him pumping the water. The pump was pumping his arm. And he said, then all of a sudden I looked behind, and, 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 and there was a, there was a big container of water behind it. And he said, it wasn't even the pump that was pumping the water. The water was pumping the pump, which was pumping the man. And he's like, it just blew my mind. And as I was studying some of his writings on this passage of Scripture, here's what he said. He said, the Christian life is not you or I trying to pump it, trying to make it happen. It is the life of Jesus flowing through us. You see, you and I don't pump the Christian life. It's the Christian life that pumps us. We'll take it a step further. It's not you and I pumping Jesus. He pumps us. Matter of fact, I want you to hear what Jesus had to say about this. This is in John chapter 7, verse 38. In January, we're going to start walking through the book of John. So when we get to John chapter 7 in, I don't know, August or September, act like this sounds new to you, okay? Listen to what Jesus said. He said, he who believes in me, oh, this is good. He who believes in me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And I know so many folks out there that are just pumping away. And here's what happens. They find somebody that's unlovely. And they're like, you know what, man? I'm going to be the good Christian. And I'm going to love that person that is unlovable even if it kills me. And then all of a sudden, time goes by and they're like, okay, I'm ready to die. I can't love them. They're the most unlovable person in the world. Or somebody does something wrong, they do you dirty. Man, how quick we are to hold on to hurts. I'm thankful that we don't serve a God that seeks revenge. They did me dirty, but you know what? I know what the good Christian thing to do is. The good Christian thing is to do is to forgive them, and I'm going to forgive them, and I'm going to move on. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, I can't forgive them. There's just no way. Can I, can I just ask you this? And please, as a fellow struggler, okay, I, I'm not saying I got it down pat. I'm just saying here, I know the truth. Do, do, do you think Jesus can forgive anybody? Do you think Jesus can forgive anybody? Yeah? I just want to know what I'm working with here. It's not about you pumping that Christian life out. Hear me. It's not about you forgiving. It's not about you loving. It's about Jesus doing it through you. And so you're like, well, I've read all these books, and I've been to all these classes and stuff on having a forgiving spirit, and I'm just going to, i gotta, I got to do these exercises that'll help me have a forgiving spirit, and let me do the forgiving spirit. And, and, and hear me, I'm not saying those things are wrong. I don't even know what you've been reading or what you've been looking at, but I'm just saying this. How about instead you sit there and let the number one focus be this? Jesus, you know, I can never love them, and I can never forgive them, but you can. So Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of focusing on me doing it, I'm going to fall more in love with you so that I 
will be so transformed because out of the love that I have for you in my life, you're going to be the one that's going to be pumping that water of forgiveness, that water of love through me. So, the God who gives strength and stability out of his power, eternity, who reveals salvation. Here's the last one, we'll move on. He's the God of wisdom who has no limits. Look at verse 27. To God alone, wise. There is only one true God, friend. There is only one living God, friend. There is only one wise God. But would you agree with me that throughout the centuries, men and women have created multitudes of gods? Small g, of course. And we've got a God for this, and we've got a God for that. And we, you know, here a God, there a God, everywhere a God, God, everywhere you look. In fact, you go back to the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, they had all these idols, and God said, you know what? If you're worshiping these idols, <laughs> you understand these idols are dead. These gods have no life. You can go to Psalm 135. We don't have time to read it today, but do it in further study. In Psalm 135, here is God, and God is doing a compare and contrast between himself, the one true living God, and all these other dead gods. And you can just see, I mean, I can just see him laughing as this is coming out of his mouth and this is being written down. But God is saying, you know what? The idols of nations, they are silver and gold. They are made by the hands of men. He said, this they have mouths but they can't speak he says they have eyes but they can't see these these false gods these little idols they have ears but they can't hear he even goes on to say this there's no breath in their mouths and the word he uses there for breath is spirit but they don't have any spirit in them he says those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them And so contextually, let's look at what Paul is writing. Paul is writing to a church at Rome, and the Roman culture was highly, highly religious in nature. And they had Zeus, and they had Apollo, and they had Mercury, and they had Aphrodite, and we can go on and on and on. They had all these little gods. In fact, the city of Rome, there was the Pantheon. Pantheon means multiple gods. It was a building that inside the building they had all these little shelves, these little alcoves dedicated to all these gods. And so they would have a little representative there, a little statue, a little symbol of these false idols. And seriously, all you had to do was go in. It was almost like this one-stop gods are us shopping place. And you'd go in and You need a little bit of rain, you talk to the God of rain. You need a little bit of fertility, you talk to the God of fertility. You need something else, then you can just go and you can just talk to this God. It's almost like this big uh, buffet of gods. You get a little bit of this, you get a little bit of that. It's almost like some people when it comes to God's word. Hey, I'll take the good stuff, but don't leave, you know, I'll leave the stuff there that requires something of me. I'll just leave that alone. It doesn't work that way, friend. And so Jesus and Christianity came to Rome, and the Romans said, oh, yeah, 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 we'll take him. We'll embrace him. Hey, go ahead and bring your little statue of Jesus in here. We've got the perfect place, the perfect shelf. You can set him up there, and then you can come in, and you get a little bit of this God, get a little bit of that God, and get a little bit of Jesus God. No, we welcome that. And the Christian said, no, 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 no. Jesus is not one of many gods. He's the only God. He, he's alive. His eyes, his mouth, and his ears, and he's the living God to whom alone is wise. And they and they they persecuted the Christians. As a matter of fact, they even killed the Christians. And the reason why they killed the Christians is they said they're atheists. Because they won't believe in all these multi-gods. And you're like, well, that's a neat little history lesson. But we're in the 21st century, Pastor. We don't. We don't have all these little gods today. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We have idols today. Idolatry and worship. I mean, my goodness. Worship is what will make 200,000 folks go up to Talladega 
and sit out there and watch these cars. And you, you got you to wait till they get on the backside. That's where you can really catch them. Because when they come around the corner, they're going so fast, you can't really, you can't see anything. You can't. Now, you can feel it when they come around the corner, but you can't really. Pay. Here's the way I view racing and NASCAR. Uh, show me the first lap and show me the last two, and I'm good. Matter of fact, you can leave out the first one and the next to last one. Just show me the Matter of fact, I don't even care, to be honest with you. I don't even care. I don't even care. And please hear me, you NASCAR fans. I mean, I'm not saying anything's wrong with NASCAR. I'm not saying you can't be a Jesus lover and be a NASCAR lover. I'm just saying when anything takes the preeminence of where Jesus belongs in your life, we got a God. Last night, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer's like, hey, I'm going to run over to Destin. And I think Reed and Abby are going to go with me. And we, uh, we'll go over and they got some sales going on. And you want to go? And, and she knew the answer before she asked the question. Said, no, I'm good. I'm good. And so uh, I, uh, I stayed home with Hazel. Um, that, that's our dog. And uh, we, uh, we watched uh, a college football game. And uh, there are there 80,000 folks there in Columbia, South Carolina. I, I see your shirt. Thank you for sitting on the front row. Um, <laughs> we'll get an invitation. You, you can get saved from that, brother. Um, and uh, I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in North Carolina, and he texts me, and he said, just what is a gamecock? What is a gamecock? And I'm like, uh, that's Greek for... Uh, uh, tail whipping is what that is. Because my goodness, they gave us uh, a whipping last night. I hadn't figured it out, though. They, whenever, in most of their games, you know, they don't score many touchdowns. And they had nine against us last night. Nine. I, I've heard they've scored again this morning. Um, <laughs> normally, when they get a first down or they make a tackle or you know, they meet their quota in popcorn sales. They play this, it, I don't know if it's a dying chicken or it's, uh, it's, it's the most god-awful sound I've, I've ever heard. And they were doing it a lot last night. You know, cock-a-doodle-doo, I don't know, it's like a pterodactyl. I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. And over and over, playing that. You know, here comes the, you know, the, uh, mm. I'm not going to say what I want to say. <laughs> Here comes that chicken. How about that? Um, and uh, it got so bad that I'm like, all right, I'm, go, I'm not going to listen to this chicken joke anymore. And I uh, looked over, and Hazel was there. And they were doing that chicken thing again. She just took her paw and laid it over her eyes like, I'm so <laughs> sick of this chicken. And Afterwards, they were interviewed. Naturally, you know, the whole place came unglued because they weren't supposed to beat us, and they destroyed us, and folks on the field and all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, later on, uh, on on Twitter, somebody had, had, had posted they were interviewing someone, and someone made the comment. And th this would be true of any stadium, okay? Any stadium, but just happened to be there last night. Made the comment, this is the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of my life. Um, we see the innate desire that we have and we've been created with to worship all over the place. Nothing wrong with having a hobby and nothing wrong with all that kind of stuff. You know, this is the greatest day of my life. And I'm like, oh God, thank you that whether my team wins or lose, that's not the greatest day of my life. The greatest day of my life is when I was a young man at a little old country church in North Mississippi. And God had already been squeezing on my heart. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Greatest day of my life, he steps out of heaven, steps into my heart. Never, ever to be the same again. And God, but God, but guys, 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 listen, listen. I don't, think, I don't think the biggest idols that we have in our society today are, are, are the race car team that we root for or the football team that we root for. I mean, we know idols. Idols can be, uh, they can be your career. They can be your job. Go ahead, ladies, give them the elbow right now. It, it could be material possessions and things like that. We can even make false idols out of our own kids or grandkids. 
I don't even think that is. Can I tell you what I believe the biggest false idol that we have in the world today? Me. Self. Self. And here is God. And, 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 and God is saying, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not like those gods. I, I'm not like that. No, no, no. I'm the only wise God. I'm, I don't limit I'm not limited by anything, by who I am and what I can do. And that's what he is saying to us today. Quit putting your stock and your hope in yourself. Quit putting it in your retirement plan. Quit putting it in, you're going to have health. Quit putting it in, uh, getting your house paid off. You hear me? Nothing wrong with those things. But what are you saying is, I alone have the strength and the power and the wisdom to give you what you need. And this is how he does it. Look in verse 27. I promise we're almost done. Through Jesus Christ, amen. That's the channel. That's the key. That's the way. Through Jesus Christ. And I think Paul probably said to the scribe, put amen so they know we're done. Through Jesus Christ. What else is left to be said? Amen. Amen. No, so, so stop and think about this. The very way he ends is the very way he starts. It's all about Jesus. Christ in you. There's a seafood restaurant outside of Glasgow, Scotland. And there's a very interesting story behind it. Years ago, there were some Scottish fishermen. Now, I don't know a lot about Scottish fishermen, but I've been told they're a lot like American fishermen. They lie a lot. And there was a group of them that had come into that restaurant, and they were talking about their catch of the day. And one of the guys, you know, he's like, well, you know, the one I caught was like this. And when he did it, a waitress was walking by, and she was carrying a pitcher of hot tea. He hit the, the pitcher, and it hit this whitewashed wall, and it left just hot tea all over it. You can only imagine probably what took place. And so he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't mean to do that. And he gets up and he, I'm so sorry. And his buddies, they're there. They're trying to clean it all off and everything. And the owner of the restaurant's out there. And after they wipe it all down and all the tea is off, there's still this horrible, horrible dark stain. And the owner's like, well, what are we going to do about this? I mean, that, that'll not come out. And, you know, you've ruined my wall. And they're trying to figure out what's going to take place and who's going to pay for it. And then all of a sudden, this stranger in the restaurant gets up and he takes out an artist's pencil and without saying a word, he just walks over to that dark, dark stain on that whitewashed wall and he just starts drawing. And the next thing you know, a few moments later, he's created this beautiful picture drawing of an elk right over that stain with its antlers kind of turned down. And then all of a sudden he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out many different colored pencils, and he starts, he starts making this landscape backdrop, and, you know, he's, he's beautifully uh, portraying the wildlife in that area, and they discovered that the stranger was none other than Sir Edwin Lancier, the most renowned wildlife artist in all of Great Britain. And he had taken this terrible blot this horrific stain, and when he was done, it was a beautiful drawing. Matter of fact, today, people don't go to that restaurant for the fish. They don't go to that restaurant because of the location. People come from all over Europe to go to that restaurant to see one of the most beautiful drawings of wildlife that's ever been done, still on that wall today. You see, friend, that's exactly what the book of Romans is about. You and I have a stain, don't we? It's the stain of sin. And yet, Jesus Christ can take something so terrible, and hear me, it's not that he wants to remove the stain. He wants to make something beautiful out of the stain. 
And so here is the master artist of all of creation. And he's saying to every single one of us in this place, Jew, Gentile, right? White, black, yellow, red, whatever skin color, whatever background, no matter what it may be, he's saying to everyone, yes, yes, there is a terrible, terrible stain on your life. It is the stain of sin. But do you know what? In Christ. I'll make something so beautiful that people won't quit talking about the beautiful picture that the grand artist drew. And he invites and offers that to you and me. Here's Paul. (laughs) You think you knew anything about transformation? Yeah, you remember, you've heard me say this over and over. My goodness, he was so transformed by Jesus Christ, they had to change his name. That joker, that joker was so radically different. They're like, nobody will believe it. We'll call you Paul. I mean, there's some more behind it, but anyway. And he never got over. Mm. He never got over how God had taken that brokenness, that disappointment, that stain, and had done a wonderful, beautiful work. In Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Oh, please hear me, friend. Right now we move to this moment where I ask you the question, this is not the time to leave. This is not the time to leave. I ask you this question. Are you in Christ? Remember what he said? That's all that matters. Christ in you, Christ in you. Does your life belong to Jesus? That there's been a time in your life where you called upon the name of Jesus, surrendering your life to him. And hear me, friend, you didn't put your faith in a prayer, you didn't put your faith in a church or a preacher, but instead you called upon the very creator of this world, the one who gave his life for you and you surrendered and your life has never been the same. Now we're not talking about being perfect, but we're talking about you've been changed. You're different. Your attitude, everything, the way you think, the way you talk, you're different. If that's not happened to you, then I think you have every reason in this world to question whether Christ is in you. And if he's not in you today, how about you receive this glorious invitation that he offers to all? You're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm ready to settle this once and for all. I am ready to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I just don't know how. Well, friend, what already is taking place in your heart, the wooing and the drawing and the stirring and the questions, and I'm telling you, that's how the Holy Spirit of God works. But right now, you come to this point and you say, yes, I'm ready to call upon the name of Jesus. Then I invite you right now in this moment. Would you call upon him? Would you pray with me? Call upon him. Pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner And I realize that I can't forgive my own sin. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive my sin and to come into my life. Jesus, I put my faith in you and I believe. I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you did live and die, but I believe you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I believe you're alive forevermore. And Jesus, My heart's desire is I want to follow you all the days of my life. So I surrender to you today, Jesus. Hey guys, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to this week's issue of the podcast called Unchangeable Truth. Let me encourage you as well, if you get a chance, go check out our website. It's Highland, H-I-L-A-N-D, Park, P-A-R-K. 
On that website, you'll learn more about our ministry at Highland Park Baptist Church. You can also listen to some previous sermons, which are archived for the previous year. And as well, if you ever find yourself in Panama City in person, come and check us out. Worship with us live at 2611 Highway 231 North. And we would also love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you got any questions regarding your relationship with Him, having faith in Him, or if this podcast has encouraged you, or you have other questions regarding the podcast, feel free, shoot us an email at podcast at highlandpark.org. As always, our prayer is that this podcast would point you to Jesus Christ, 